So at one point or another, um, all of us have had a picture in our mind as to what we wanted our life to look like um, and what we wanted it to be. Uh, for, for many of us, uh, for all of us, the picture started out blank. You know, there was nothing in it. It was an empty frame. Can be what you want it to be. And as we were young and in the years of our youth, we started seeing things going on in other people's lives and you know, perhaps our family's life, perhaps other families. And we started forming the idea of what we didn't want in the picture, what we did want in the picture, and what, what we wanted to have when we grew up. And there was the picture of our life. And, and as we progressed through adulthood, we actually begin to create the picture. We actually begin to um, collect through our experiences and our decisions and um, so many of the things that, that we go through, we form what is the picture of our life. And last week we introduced the idea that if you're going to create a picture of the life that you wanted, um, that there's a question that you're gonna need to ask yourself. And the question seems simple on the surface, um, but as we looked at it, it really got unsimple. And that question is, if you're going to form that picture, you've got to answer the question, what do you want? Right, which seems so simple and so like, okay, well, of course, we're going to have to ask about um, what we want. But as we started to talk about, we discovered that there's three things that all of us want, that we all have in common. Um, The first thing is, is that we want our way. Anybody shout an amen on that, right? Like we, we just do. It's, 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 it's humans. It's us. We want our way. It's our way. The reason it's our way is because we think it's the best way. And so we want our way. The second thing is, is we want to do what we want to do because we want to do it. And not only that, but we want to do what we want to do now, we're not real big on delayed gratification within our culture. When we come up with something that we want to do, we want to act on it. So, so on one hand, I ask you, you know, what is it that you want? What do you want? And you may come up with something that sounds pretty good. You know, something that doesn't sound too surfacy. Something that maybe you can come up with something that doesn't sound too selfish. But running in the background of our mind, kind of just always there, always there, driving many of our decisions is that we want our way, we want to do what we want to do, and we want to do it now. And as last week we said, the problem is this, is that, is that if in fact we always get our way, we end up losing our way. If we always get exactly what it is that we want, when we want it, we end up in places that we do not want to end up in. And we find ourselves getting to positions where like all of a sudden we're looking at that picture of our life as it's forming and it's becoming a reality. And we're like, oh man, this is so much not what I imagined the picture of my life would look like. And we also said that that if we always do what we want to do, we end up where we don't want to be. And if we get what we want now, Many times that thing ends up getting in the way of what we really eventually want later. I mean, how many of you could get up here and tell a story of, wow, there was something that I really thought that I wanted, that I had to have, no getting away around it, and I got it. And man, if I could go back now and unget that, because it messed up so many things in my future. I was not able to get some of the things that I figured out later I really did want because of that earlier thing, right? And all of us have experienced this. So, so our question became not, 
what do you want? But we modified our question a little bit to what do you really want? What do you really want? And so that's, that's, that's what we said to get us into to today's discussion. Because, because lurking in the shadows of what we want surface, lurking in those shadows, somewhere in there, if you look close enough, lie your values, lie the things that you, you put importance on. And the reason that it's in the shadows is because there's very little within our culture and there's very little within a lot of the relationships that we have that will help you to focus not on just surface wants and whatever's there immediately and that you kind of see and want and gotta have, but there's very little that will help you focus on below the surface the values, the things that are important. So lurking around the idea of what job do you want? How much money do you want to be making? What neighborhood do you want to live in? What kind of house do you want? What kind of car do you want to drive? What do you want your spouse to act like? How do you want your children to be? Lurking around all of those questions are the things that you really find the value in. For example, if I were to ask somebody, you know, especially somebody young starting out, maybe just getting out of high school. And I would say, hey, what do you want in life relationally? Well, I want to get married. Okay, good. I, I hope, hope that happens for you. But, but what do you value that's behind that? Why do you want that? Well, I mean, well, I mean, I want a date. Okay, good, good. I'm glad that's a good start. A date's got to come to get to marry. Okay, but why? What's the value behind that? Why do you want that thing? What, what do you want financially? Well, I want to be rich. Can I get an amen? Yes, rich. I want to, good, good. I hope you get there, right? And I hope you really get, you know, I hope you really get what you want financially. But, but, but why? Why do you want to be rich? Because you see, lurking behind the shadows of what our surface desires are, are the values beneath it. And many, and so rare is it that we take the time to dig beneath the surface and look at what those values are. And, and it, goes, it goes deeper than that. What kind of person do you wanna be? What, what do you want your character to be? Because most of us know the stuff that we want. And we got a running tally of that all the time. We've got billboards and commercials reminding us of the stuff that we want all the time. But those things are not us. We're, we're made to think they are, but they're not. And so, so who do you want to be? What do you want to be? Below just the surface. See, see those, are, those are value questions. Those force you to, to put words to what it is that you put, um, put value on, what you emphasize, what it is that you think is most important. And these que are questions that will get you past the surface ones that so many of us struggle with so often. And we will never get what we really want until we discover what we really value. And the thing that's difficult about this is that nobody can answer the question for you, what do you value? Nobody can. And unless somebody kind of like fastens you down and, and gets you to forces you to put your attention to that question on what you really value, most of us will never slow down long enough to get to the question. We'll just keep going from want to want to want to want to want. And before we know it, the picture of our life is painted and it's not anything like we wanted it to be. Now, as Jesus followers, we take this a step further because this, this idea, this isn't a religious thing. 
Like this whole idea of value and once where it's just a thing thing. But as Jesus followers, we go a step further with it because we believe God has invited us to call him father. And the great thing about Jesus, um, as God sent him onto this earth so that he could make the sacrifice to reconcile us with him, the great thing about Jesus while he was here is that he consistently pointed to values, not once. He consistently pointed from the initial and the immediate and what was right in front of you to the ultimate, to the down the road, to what was more important from what, what's right in front of us to what lies further ahead within life. So, so we believe it. we'll never get what we really want in life till we discover what's most valuable. And luckily Jesus points the way. Now, having said all that, right? This should be easy, shouldn't it? I mean, let's just, let's just do a little exercise. Let's put our thinking caps on for just a minute, right? Let's do some reading, some thinking, little journaling, little writing, right? Discover what's most valuable and then we go from there, right? Hmm. Yeah, you all have been around too long and you know it's never that easy, right? So here, here, here's what's gonna happen. I, at the end, I'm gonna try and give you some practical ways to get to that. But the problem is this, is that choosing the valuable is unnatural. Choosing the valuable is unnatural. The, the reason that this is difficult isn't because you lack discipline. Some of you are just like, well, if I just buckle down and, you know, be disciplined in the things that I do and say and get or whatever. And, th and that's, that's not really it. And, and it, the reason it's difficult is not because you lack information. I mean, we've got access to all the information that we need. This issue isn't solved with just some new information and renewed determination, which is how we want to go about solving everything. But this is deeper than that. It's a little more complicated than that. There's an internal conflict that happens within us between what is natural to us as humans and to what is valuable. And many people are never able to break through the natural to ever get to the valuable. But when they do, when they do, their life changes completely. And this is what I want for you, but it's not an easy battle to win. Um, the person that put, described this battle the best would be the Apostle Paul. Um, and he, he was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he was a good keeper of the Jewish laws. I mean, that was like their job. Well, they, they had a twofold job. One, keep the law really good. Two, make everybody else feel bad for not keeping the law. Like that was kind of their, that was kind of their thing. And so he was really, really good at it. And he was so committed to it that he couldn't stand the initial movement of the followers of Jesus. And so he dedicated himself to bringing it to an end because that was not a lawful thing, right? And so he tried to put the church out of business in the first century before it ever even really got rolling. But he became a Jesus follower. And when he did, he went around the Mediterranean Rim and he started a whole bunch of churches. And they're in churches, not at all like what we think of churches today. They were house churches. People would gather together just in homes and begin to discuss and talk about these things. And he wrote a bunch of letters to these churches. 
And then he wrote another letter that wasn't to a specific church, but was kind of to a group of Christians in general in a city that we're pretty sure he hadn't been to yet at that juncture. And he was writing it to people that he hadn't met yet at that juncture, which is an amazing concept that he's able to write such pointed, brilliant, insided things to people that he had not met. But he wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome, which when you look at it, one of the fascinating things in the whole Jesus movement and how it happened and grew or whatever, it was like, it did not take long. It was in the late forties BC when you could go into Rome and there were hundreds of Christians which is just fascinating how that whole thing spread. But if you know anything about the history of the church, being in Rome as a Christian in the 40s BC was not a good time. It was a dangerous time. There was a pretty good chance you would lose your life over your faith. So here, here were these people who were kind of not hiding, but like mm, it was a dangerous time to be out there gathering in these homes. And Paul writes them a letter. And in this letter, he describes this conflict that we're talking about between the natural and the valuable. And he describes it in a way that everybody can understand. Here's what he says in the seventh chapter of Roman. He says, I do not understand what I do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Some of you are like, oh man, that's just me in a nutshell. Some of you are looking to the person next to you. God, that's them in a nutshell, right? I do not understand what they do <laughs> ever on a regular basis. Yeah, but this is about ourselves, not the person next to you. So focus inward, mirrors today, right? But this describes, this describes this conflict and it's an amazing thing. And one of the things that's amazing about verses like this and parts of the Bible like this is that even if you don't buy into all of the Bible being true, you know that's true right? I mean, none of us are gonna be like, no, that's not true. I always do exactly what I want to do. And I understand why I do everything. Anybody? No, no. I mean, how many of us have done things? And for some of us, it's immediate. For some of us, it may take a little longer, but we look at that thing and we're like, what was I thinking? God, I'm such an idiot, right? How many of you could come up and tell a story about something you did? And you immediately were like, no idea. N no idea. We all do that. We all say, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I call them? Why did I join that group? Why did I buy that? I don't understand what it is that I do. What's wrong with me? The answer is that there's an eternal conflict within you between what you value and your human nature. And this is a big deal. He keeps going. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. To which we're like, well, Paul, you know what you want to do. So just do it, right? Like that's easy. If you want to do something, do it. And he keeps going. He's like, yeah, it's worse than that. But not only do I not do what I want to do, and so I'm just doing a random thing, but what I hate I do. And this is so transparent. And I've got this broken up in these sentences. If you go back and try and read that all as one thing, I do not understand what I do. I hate what I do. I don't hate what I do. What do I do? I hate, you get it. It's hard to read and keep it straight. I don't know how many, I don't know how many drafts Paul had of his letters, 
But this section, like you go through and read it, it, get, mm, it probably took him a few drafts. But this is so transparent because he says, there is something that I really want, but I settle for something less. And not only do I settle for something less, but I end up hating what it is that I settle for, All right? Now, let me say something to just a few of you. Because some of you, if you're honest, if you're honest with yourself, some of yourself, you, you hate yourself because of what you've done. And not only hate yourself because of what you've done, but it's really difficult to reconcile it because you were there the whole time, right? At any point, you could have not done what you had done. And it's easy for us to then kind of be like, okay, I'm feeling this uh, about what I've done and I was there the whole time. I've got to figure out some way to take the weight off of me. And so we look around to place blame, to find reasons. And we blame mom or dad or the boss or the spouse or the world or whatever it is we want to blame. And we put blame all around. Paul says, okay, I get it. I get that feeling that you have. I get going through that exercise because I don't know what to do. And I end up hating what I actually do. And hating what I do is about a half an inch away from hating myself when I look in the mirror. Once you get to hating what you do and realizing that it's you doing it, you're close to hating yourself. And it's a daily struggle. This isn't something that can be just addressed once and be done with. He keeps going. He says, and if... I do what I do not want to do. I agree that the law is good. Here he is, just still more in this, and if do, 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 don't do, good, bad. Here's what he's talking about. Paul, super good law keeper. As far as we know, there was nobody better at keeping the law than Paul. But as hard as he tried, he couldn't pull it off. He wasn't perfect. He would fail. He would fall short. He couldn't keep it completely. So he explains, he says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can you feel just the turmoil inside of him? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, this should make you feel better. You should be able to look at this and be like, ah, here, I can relate to him. I mean, here's a guy who wrote half of the New Testament and he's sitting here telling us freely that he keeps messing it up and has trouble figuring it out. And that this turmoil and this conflict within him many times gets the better of him, which to me is encouraging because you can look at the life of Jesus and read through his life and see him and you're like, oh, so unattainable. Like son of God, I can't connect at all to that. Well, here's Paul saying, I feel you. I got your back. Connect with me because I keep screwing it up, even though I know what it is that I should be doing. So what's his point? His point is, is that we, what we naturally want is in conflict with what we ultimately want. And what we ultimately want is what we really want want. And when it comes to your nature, and it comes to my nature, nature knows nothing of fairness. Nature knows nothing of compassion, right? If you want to know about your nature, just look at that nature. 
To which you might be like, oh, nature's beautiful. And I would say, yes, it is. From a distance. Right? You don't want to get too close to nature, right? Because when you get too close to nature, nature becomes dangerous. And nature becomes harmful. And when you get into nature, there's, there's, there's no forgiveness in nature. There's no generosity. There's no compassion. There's no grace in nature. And nature, when, 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 when we see what's around us as human beings, and we see what goes on within the bigger nature, here's what nature is. Nature is cheating and lying and racism and adultery and revenge and me first, me first, me first. And if you let it, nature will kill you. That's nature. And that is the same nature that resides within us. And you look at these things, these things that nature is, all of that bad list of things, and you think, yeah, that's a good way to undermine your own future if you're behaving in the way that nature behaves. That's a good way to undermine that picture of what you want your life to be. Paul's writing another letter to, uh, to uh, the church in Galatia. And he's writing, and he, and he phrases, he's kind of talking about this idea of nature this way. He says this, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. And some people don't like the idea of the word sinful. That's a word we've backed off of in our culture because that, you know, there's a lot connected to that and a lot of judgment or whatever. Maybe that word sinful. Yeah. Okay, fine. Drop it out of the sentence. It doesn't change the meaning. You could say, when you follow the desires of your nature, because our nature is broken. There is something on a fundamental level, there is something wrong with us. And that's not polite to say, and it's probably a little bit offensive to say, but all you have to do to prove that on a fundamental level, there's an issue with us is think about the things that you do not want to do, but you do them anyway. That's the fundamental Level. He says, when you follow the desires of your nature, the results are very clear. In other words, I don't even need to list them. I don't need to tell you. You know, you've experienced the results of just following your broken nature. Right? And, you know, there's a, if I were to read the list that comes next, and I'm not going to pile on because I just don't want to be like, oh, just this morning. So I'm not going to read the list of the results. But if you read through the list of the results, some of you know what that list is anyway. You look at it and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I see myself in there. Yep, that one, that one, that one, yep. Some of you are thinking, maybe not just yourself, oh, yep, that's him, that's her. Yep, I see my kids in there. There they are. They couldn't escape. And even though we all know the results, he lists them out and he writes them and we find ourselves in the list. Why? Because of our broken nature. And of all of these things that he lists, we, we would say, that's not what I want. That's not what I want to be a part of. That's not what I want the picture of my life to look like. I, I, I do what I don't want to do, many of us might say, and it's destroying my family. It's destroying my relationship with my kids. It's destroying my marriage. It's destroying my finances. It's destroying my career. It's destroying prospects for the future. 
But all of those things that draw me, they just come naturally. And the reason is this, this is a big deal. See, that's why this whole idea is bigger than just getting some new information and trying a little bit harder. Because no matter what you know, and no matter how hard you try, this is a daily battle. That conflict between what we really want, what we value, and our nature. Right? But it's a battle you can win. It's not, a, it's not an unwinnable battle. And there's a way that we can get what we really want. And there's a way that you can create a life picture that you are proud of. That when people step up and look at it, you don't have to break eye contact and kind of look to the side and start kicking the dirt. J- James, brother of Jesus, wrote this. And in this, the, he paints this word picture that just is, I mean, about perfect in the way that this struggle goes. He, he says this, but each person is tempted, that is to go to those things of our nature when they are dragged away. And that is a really strong visual of how those things in our nature at times just kind of seem to pop up and grab you and start pulling at you. You feel like you're being dragged. And this is a person who's trying to do the right thing what they really want. And something just comes along and drives, drags them away. And this is the battle. This is where so many of us live. This is the struggle we feel that goes on on a daily basis, that valuable versus nature and what that is inside of us. He says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That is, they knew what they wanted. And then he came along and drug me away. She came along and drug me away. This opportunity came along and drug me away from what I really wanted. This pleasure, this moment, this group came along and drug me away. But then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And this is just such vivid imagery. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is sin actually kills stuff. That nature, where nature gets deadly, <laughs> can kill you, that's sin. Sin actually kills stuff. It undermines our future. It undermines that picture of what we want our life to be. It leads us to do things where we get ourselves into position and we say, I don't know why I'm doing what it is that I do. And I'm starting to hate myself. And then James, as he's writing this, and I picture like this is, I picture him just like 2,000 years ago writing this. And I don't know why, but I picture him writing at night and there's a single candle. And, he's, and it's almost as if he's writing this and he pauses and he looks up. And kind of starts to think a little bit. And he thinks about who's the audience that's going to read this? Who, who are the people that I will never meet that will read this and be thinking about these words that I'm putting down? And he ends by saying, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And do you know why he tells us do not be deceived? He tells us this because he knows how easily deceived we are. He knows 
how easily distracted we are by what we immediately want and how when we become consumed with that, we forget what we ultimately and really want. And it's as if, as we read these words today and they just ring so true, it's as if James is writing and he's reaching over 2,000 years of human history and events and behaviors and reaching out and grabbing each of us by the collar and saying, do not be deceived. This is as true today as these words were when they were written over 2,000 years ago. Don't be deceived. Don't trade the immediate for the ultimate. Don't trade natural for what you ultimately want. Don't trade natural for valuable. And it's amazing how these words have stayed true. And listen, as a pastor, nothing breaks my heart more than watching people make decisions and gratify immediate desires that have a permanent impact on their future. Doing what they don't really wanna be doing, and they know it. And as a result, their future is impacted and undermined. And there are plenty of things in life that we have no control of. There's circumstances as we're trying to create our picture of life, there are circumstances that are gonna come at us that no matter what we did, we could not have avoided those circumstances. And there are so many of those that we don't need to be adding on to the difficulty of achieving our life picture by continually doing things we know we don't wanna be doing. But this is why, this is why I believe that following Jesus doesn't only make your life better, it makes you better at life because he points to these important things. And he points you past the immediate to the ultimate. And he points you um, away from the natural towards the valuable. And Christianity, it, it's so hard to look at, it's so easy to look at the, the, the faults of, of the large picture of Christianity. But that's because we've turned it into something that it really wasn't supposed to be. Christianity is God the Father stepping into human history to point us to something beyond our broken intuition, beyond our misguided inclinations. And listen, I, I make no mistake, I am not immune to this issue. I do not have this figured out. I have not conquered this issue. And now I'm the all-knowing teacher up here trying to tell you all how to do it. Like, <laughs> This is a daily battle. But it's a battle that's worth it. To be able to fix our eyes on something in the future that ultimately is so much more valuable than what the current wants would give us. So when it comes to the picture of your life, what do you really want? And do you feel yourself being dragged away from what it is that you really want by the things that you kind of naturally want that everybody just gravitates towards? So here, here, here's some homework for this week. I got three questions for you. And you need to answer these three questions, not out loud, we're going to take a moment to think about them, but you can keep that to yourself. But I want you to answer these three questions and then come back next week as we delve into this even further. Here's the questions. One, what do you really want? 
What do you really want? Well, I want a Ford Raptor. <laughs> and I want a garage big enough to keep it in. Right? Okay, I hope you get your Raptor. I hope you get three and let me borrow one of them. I really do. Uh, but... But why is it that you want that? What, what do you really want? The second question is this. What keeps dragging you away? What is that thing, that nature inside of you? That thing that's so immediately satisfying that you are compromising your future as you give into it? What is that that's, and listen, this, these questions are between you and God, so be honest. You don't have to tell your spouse. You don't have to tell, you don't have to tell anybody. You and God, be honest. Here's the third question. How long? Do you plan to let what you naturally want drag you away from what you ultimately want? Another season of life, four or five more years, another marriage, two more jobs. How long? How long are you going to let that begin to control you? So we're going to take, I was just going to sing a little bit of a song. I don't want you singing along with them. We're not even gonna put words on the screen. I want you to just take some time and think about the three questions. What is it that I really want? What is this that's dragging me away and how long am I going to allow those things to drag me away from what I ultimately want? fighting it, it's only because we haven't bothered scratching below the surface to realize this is a battle that's existing. Lord, I pray this week 
God, that you do not allow these questions to go from our minds. What is it that I really want? And what is dragging me away from that? And how long am I going to allow that to go on? Or don't, don't, don't let us just shake these questions off easily. Because until we answer those questions, God, we cannot take the next step in this struggle. Lord, I thank you that through your action of sending your son to this world, that you point us away from the surface, you point us away from the immediate, you point us away from our natural desires to that which is valuable, that which is important, that which ultimately in the long run holds what it is that we truly want. Lord, let us become keenly aware of the struggle inside of us between these things and let us be honest with ourselves in how we are doing in this struggle. Lord, we do not have the strength on our own. It has to be you. But in order for you to be able to help us, we've got to be honest enough with ourselves to admit where we give into our nature. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that you draw us back to you every time we depart. Lord, keep us safe till we can meet again in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Think of those questions this week and uh, then join us next week as we get even a little deeper into this idea.